0: Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I'm Joel A. Erickson, joined by Nate Atkins. This is the first impressions edition of the Colts Cover 2 podcast. Colts lost at Luke Soil Stadium tonight, 20-3. Um, big picture, I don't know that there's a ton to take away from this game. A bad team lost their fifth straight game. Uh, they were already eliminated for the playoffs. Pretty much just playing for, if you're just Saturday, uh, something to put on the resume as far for your case as interim coach. And if you're most Colts fans, I think probably hoping for draft position and a chance <laughs> at one of the top quarterbacks. So the loss helps there. I think just the experience of watching it was probably rough uh, for most Colts fans. It was a it was a pretty packed house, actually, mm-hmm. uh, Monday night, the day after Christmas. Um, kind of impressive by Colts fans to show up. Uh, but they didn't see a lot. This This was sort of the... After after two games that had, um, it, in the wrong way if you're a Colts fan, but had had been entertaining at the very least, this game was a slog. Um, both both sides of the ball. I mean, it's not like the Chargers looked great on offense either. Um, we didn't even get. I don't even can't even really think of like one highlight throw from Justin Herbert uh, that really stands out. There were some almosts, but nothing that happened. So, um, yeah, kind of a kind of a dud in terms of long term big picture stuff there's some stuff that we can get into um i think midweek that jim or told espn on the monday night countdown um doesn't really fit the format of the first impressions podcast but that that's the big picture stuff in in terms of in terms of this game though just a a bad team losing a game to a an okay team
1: yeah it was a normal result unlike the last two where they had kind of amazing still bad but historically historic results You know, against the Cowboys, they tied for the largest scoring margin in NFL history in the fourth quarter, and then, you know, the the great collapse against the Vikings. So this was one that just, it went, it played out pretty much exactly like it probably should have, where you have, you know, a team that's going to the playoffs and the Chargers who have a superstar quarterback and a healthy star running back, just kind of came in here and were just a better team, even though, you know, they weren't incredibly impressive. But I thought, really, they... Just sort of managed this. This kind of felt like, remember last year when the Colts went into Houston and beat up on the Texans and it was very boring and it was just sort of safe and run-centric? And that kind of came off as like the Colts know they're that much better than the Texans and they're just not going to risk messing this up. That's kind of how the Chargers felt in this game. It just outside of one double pass from Justin Herbert um, that should have been a touchdown, but, uh, but they ran out of bounds. Outside of that, it, it it just wasn't a very creative or bold game plan at all. And but also why you don't really need to. You know, it's like Bran Staley is known for the all going for on fourth down. He uh kicked like a twenty whatever that was, twenty four yard field goal. Um that's because just it doesn't take a lot of points to beat this team. So the Colts, you know, they they found a way to lose normally, but yeah, it was still it's you know, still pretty bad when you consider, you know, they scored three points. They went 0 for 10 on third down. They had less than 200 yards total. And this is while playing at home in a dome in 2022. So uh, it's just they are they are what they are at this point, and that's true kind of no matter who you play a quarterback. Let's get right into the categories. I don't need to belabor this one much,
0: but um, starting with villain, obviously I'll, I'll give you the first villain.
1: Uh, Going to have to go Nick Foles. Uh, that was pretty tough to watch, and you know we talked about how he was not really set up for any success, of course, this offense doesn 't set anyone up that way, but also the fact that he hadn't had you know first team reps, and they admittedly did not tailor the game plan toward him, uh which is how he succeeded in pass stops so certainly he was not in a good position to do well, but it was just from the jump you could tell he just he wasn't going to bring it today, just the interceptions pretty much any time he tried to throw. Uh, more than 10 yards down the field, it was either an incompletion or an interception, and three different picks came that way. Um, there was a mix of – some of it was throwing late, some of it were just not – He he said that on the f- the first throw
0: to Jelani Woods, um, he thought that there there was a deeper route than that, and he thought that they, uh, the corner was going to stay with that, and he kind of fell off the route. Um, he said on the James one he didn't think James could get to that ball, and then he did. Um, and then the third one, he took responsibility for all of them. He said, it "doesn't It doesn't matter what I think. I have to not put the ball in that position." Um, but yeah, just th- three bad picks uh, for all of the talk about whether about maybe bringing him in was going to get a more of a downfield passing game. Zero explosive plays in the passing game. No, no pass completed of over over um, twenty yards. Only one pl- explosive play in the game. A fourteen yard run by Zach Moss. That's it for the Colts Ooh. offense. Um, so yeah. vil, villain villain for me I am going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the uh the Colts coaching staff and offensive game planning. Um they they came out throwing which uh, this this team had been too run heavy to begin with uh and under Jeff Saturday they they then they stuck with it at, at times when it wasn't working but today it was and it was the 28th they're 27th by the time Monday started but one of the worst run defenses in the league um, giving up a ton of yardage on the ground and and Zach Moss averaged five point four yards a carry, 12, 12 carries, sixty five yards, and it felt like early in the game they just kept throwing it even after the interceptions. I, I don't I I am not a run the damn ball person, but I am a take advantage of the other team's weakness person. And the Chargers are bad at run defense and were bad for most of the game on run defense while well, you were starting a, a backup quarterback you hadn't tailored it to and you've been bad in the passing game all season why not do more of what was working? I, I don't get it. I Even if, even if you felt the plan was something different, number one, I don't fully understand that given the Chargers defensive profile. And number two, it was pretty clear fairly early in the game that the passing game was risky and getting worse. And that the running game, had that they, that they had holes in it. I, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't understand what, what Jeff Saturday and Parks Fraser were thinking there. Um, just if, if, there was a game to ground and pound this was the game to ground and pound
1: yeah i think it just goes back to the what they keep showing which is they don't do a lot of adjustments uh they they roll out a game plan for that week and it either it either kind of works like it did against the raiders or it blows up on them and they don't really adjust based on the results of what's happening and i get that to to some point and i asked parks about this last week this balance between sticking to what you guys have worked all week on and and making sense of that but also yeah I mean there are moments within a game just do it what works that you got to see what's working and so I'd, I understand Sometimes to this, it's as simple as that do it's working they seem convinced that the quarterback change would open this all up and that Nick Foles had a lively arm in a way that you know Matt Ryan doesn't and that they could just run these deeper routes and he would throw them and it was they wanted to believe in these receivers and I understand that to a point but yeah when it's not there when the timing's not there when uh the set Charger secondary, which is really, really good, even though Derwin James ended up leaving on the ejection. Like, when they're jumping routes like that, yeah, adjust. And, when, and, and this was a game where Zach Moss was getting something going, but they just didn't really want to stick with it. Um, it was weird because, yeah, it felt like an overcorrection to what, you know, last time I was on this podcast, I kind of railed on how they ran too much uh, last week in Minnesota. And it's like there just has to be, I don't know, there has to be some kind of happy medium between some of these extremes but i just think it goes back to they roll out a game plan for that week and they live and die with that unsung villain we we, we hit the two big ones Un, unsung villain today
0: is a little bit of a tougher one because the, yeah. the whole offense was a was at least some part of a villain hmm. maybe maybe you know, the offensive line gave up seven sacks. I, I don't know. It might be – unsung villain might be a little harsh because a lot of them were – they felt like were – and I felt like were, were Foles holding the ball and being unsure of where he was going with it. Um, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna zag here and go unsung villain, the receiving core. Uh, felt like Mo Alley-Cox didn't get it a whole lot on a chance – on an early throw from Foles that maybe would have done something. Felt like there was some miscommunications – um, some of that, I think, is the fact that Foles hadn't played with most of these people other than Jelani Woods mm-hmm. um, during practices. But I think also, you know, if if this was a team that was in the playoff hunt and Matt Ryan had gone down, they would have had to do that anyway. So um, we'll go with that, especially with Foles pulling the ball down. I, Foles obviously shoulders the big burden of the, the load, but that's not the point of this. Foles is, Foles is very clearly the villain. It was the easiest pick of the day, I think, for the category. So I'll, I'll throw the receiving core out there.
1: Yeah. Um that that's I think that's the way to go. Uh receiving core. And I guess if you're going to do that, I guess I'll, I'll I will go offensive line which just to be different. I do agree it's a little unfair because they were more covered sacks than um you know, they were asking them to hold up and pass protection for a long time cuz guys are not getting open. The play design's not getting them open. Uh, but I, I guess I'll bring them up because again, it's, it's a broken record at this point. But they paid this offensive line to overcome things like that. They paid it more than any other in football. Um, the Chargers have a good, you know, good front seven, I guess. But they didn't have Joey Bose out there. They didn't really have anybody that should wreck the game. It's and not really a good front seven <laughs> when it comes down to it. It really isn't. Yeah, it's been mostly Khalil Mack. Yeah, and he's he's built more to be your number two pass rusher at this point. It just there's just moments where um, the offensive line just it still gets beaten pass pro just a little too much. There's just when they're in obvious passing situations, they're not rising to that moment. So it's a little unfair. But um, if you take receiving core out, the offensive line is every every loss that they have it goes back to them a little bit because this team was built to be dominant there and they're not dominant there.
0: I' take I'm going to take the first shot on hero. I'm just going to go to Forrest Buckner. Um, five tackles, a sac, a sack and a half, forced fumble, big tackle for loss early in the game. Um, and, and really, if this team was ever going to have a shot in this game, uh, Buckner and Dio O um who, who combined on this play. But if there was ever the, a chance for the Colts to get back into this game, it was 13 to three late in the third quarter. Um, Buckner absolutely destroyed uh the chargers right guard uh zion johnson and and forced him up into a good rush by dio and then and then stripped the ball from herbert the colts got the ball on the chargers 21 they're down 13 to 3 that was their their best chance to score a touchdown today offense obviously didn't do it but buckner did every buckner did everything he could to to give this team a chance to win
1: yeah, Buckner has been like that all season long, and I was – really, it's a – He's the best player on the – he's been the best player on the defense when you consider – Best the, player on the team.
0: When you consider the overall – yeah, that's that's a good point, best player on the team. But, uh, you know –
1: He's been the best player
0: on the, the team. The combination and of run
1: stopping and
0: pass rush and being the spearhead of the pass rush.
1: Yeah, and if this team had a winning record, if, if, they, if the rest of them played the way that Buckner has, he would have been, I think, a very – you know – I guess I shouldn't say easy Pro Bowl selection because I know uh, that position was loaded in the AFC, but I still think it, it's hard to watch him uh, week in week out and think that this guy's not a Pro Bowler. Uh, but that's what happens. We have a team that has four wins, and you know you play a, a position like that, that that maybe just doesn't jump off the page. But he was awesome again, and he's I give him a lot of credit because you know it, it, it's got to be frustrating. He's played through so much pain this season, so much you know as he always kind of always has, but. Uh, but played so well and so consistently well, even though you know it's got no point where there's he can't overcome the things that are going on this year. And just the way he's held that together as a professional, I've been really blown away with. I just he he's backed up every everything that you know they wanted when they traded for him and signed him to an extension. He is the culture setter. He's a big reason I think that this defense is held together this season. Uh, why this team, the leadership hasn't splintered as much as I've seen other teams do. Um, that I've covered and I've been around. He, he's just one of those big pillars that, when he can hold it together, it, it becomes infectious to let other people hold it together too. So, he's a good choice for that. I'll go with uh, I'll go with Rodney Thomas. Give him a little shout out. He had the interception of Justin Herbert, um, which was a you know in that moment it should have been a big play. It was like midfield. That was early in the game. They had a chance to sort of do something with that and, and play from in front. And you know the offense didn't do it. But Rodney Thomas has been you know he's he's he should be a bigger story than he is because you know it's it's overshadowed by everything else that we talk about all the time the offense and the lack of results but he's got three interceptions now that leads the Colts and uh, seventh round pick that's the seventh round round rookie yeah and he's in a you know he leads a team that has Stephon Gilmore and Kenny Moore and Isaiah Rogers I just never in a million years thought we would have that conversation but he's shown up kind of consistently whether it's picking off passes, whether it's batting them away like he did to Russell Wilson and to Patrick Mahomes, and um, in, in his tackling, has been really, really good all year. The only kind of knock I've really had for him is sometimes the pursuit angles um, aren't you know aren't perfect because he's you know he's a rookie he's getting used to it but, they, but even that has been it's certainly been playable enough at a very very tough position a very important position to this defense at free safety uh pretty much you have to have that for a gus bradley defense so i just i think he's given them you know so much for being a seventh round pick and it's just one of those things that's kind of been overshadowed a little bit that leaves uh dio denbo for me for unsung hero and i'm just going to upgrade it to a double hero
0: because he also had a sack and a half, was play, played a key role in that. Odengbo's really come on. Three and a half sacks the last two weeks. He's got five sacks in the season now. Um, and and are, him and Buckner together as a third down pass rush, in playing the interior together, is really becoming a problem for teams. Um, because because Odengbo can hold his own now. Um, which is, is big, I think, for this franchise moving forward. That they have, uh, you know, they've seen good signs from him and Pay. But, yeah, I, I like I said, unsung hero, but I'm going to upgrade it. Just, I'm just going to do two heroes today, Buckner and Odengbo.
1: Yeah, I think I, I picked Dial for one of those last week. I really liked how he came on and constantly was after Kirk Cousins last week, and it, it's just carrying over. This is where, like, the light goes on for young players sometimes. And I remember just maybe a month ago, I think I may have listed him uh, maybe for one of the unsung villains or, or just had concerns about it because it wasn't flashing the way that, that maybe – you hope to see the season. But it goes to show, like, just sometimes things work on their own timing and, and you got to have that opportunity. Taekwon Lewis going down. Well, he's essentially
0: a rookie. Created some he's essentially yeah. a
1: rookie. I mean, he and he played last year, but he didn't play much. Yeah. It was it was very limited because of the Achilles. Yeah, and at some point, like, that your body feels more fresh coming back from an injury like that. Not everyone's timelines the exact same. I think he's showing, like, he's there now. He's He's... He's flashing in a way that we didn't see early in the year. Um, so for my uh, for my unsung hero, I'm going to go Zach Moss. Um, I did not really expect to see him be the guy at running back today. Uh, I guess that I think is in part because of Deion Jackson's fumble last week, but it's also Zach Moss was performing and he was he was good. He had 12 carries for 65 yards. Um, that's a f- you know five and a half yards a carry, long of 14. They didn't go to him a lot because. Well, like we said, they should have gone to him more, but, um, but, but that's that's cashing in and that, and really for this offense, like that, the, the bar, got, they've just not gotten any production on running backs other than Jonathan Taylor this year. So this was a game where Moss did that, and I I was impressed by a couple of those runs. I thought he cre- I thought he was nifty. I thought he created something that was there. Um, was just decisive about when to bounce at the perimeter versus cut inside, and uh, he looked like a like a real NFL running back, which is you know important for him. He's trying to earn you know future whether it's here or somewhere else as a, maybe a number two back in the league, and I thought he looked pretty good.
0: Number of the day, you got you got an easy one. I don't have an easy one. I uh, I'm going to go with forty three, which is the number of sacks the Colts now have on the season. Uh. Just to, just to run down the numbers, Yannick Ngakwe has 9.5, Buckner has 8, Quidipe has 6, Odengbo has 5, Grover Stewart has 4. They have 43 sacks as a team. That's important because it's the most sacks they've had since 2005, and with 4 more sacks, they would beat the Colts' uh, Indy-era record of 46 sacks in a season. Uh I think if you told anyone that you, that you had those numbers at the beginning of the season, you think this was a playoff team with a really good defense and it is a really good defense or not. It, it's been a good enough defense. The offense has been so bad that it's all gone to waste. Um, and so that, that's the, that's, it's just remarkable. 43 sacks is like, we talked so much about the pass rush in the off season and it hasn't always been there, but the 43 sacks shows that it's, it's, it has been there. They it's, it's been good enough. And, and they've just squandered it, and they're squandering what is probably a, a pretty good p- performance from the defense, and would be a better one if the offense hadn't hung them out to dry so often.
1: Yeah, the pass rush has really, really come together, and that, and it's like this is the time of the year when, like, that's exactly what you want. So long as the rest of the team was was there with them, but they're not. Um, yeah, I think if you go even guy by guy, there, I mean, the one that I guess you'd say has fallen kind of short of expectations from. In his season as a whole, would be and Gakway, but that's that's more of an eye test thing. He's got nine and a half sacks, so there have been moments. He, a, lot, a lot of those are cleanup, but that speaks to the strength of the group. And you know, even even guys like Grover Stewart offering more than I thought that I knew was there coming into the year. So, absolutely, the pass rush has really been really been pretty darn good. It's just it's at this stage of the season, it's not not a lot of payoff to it. They're not putting teams in the situation for them to really take over either um so my number of the game I'm going to go with uh I'm going to go with zero which is the number of third down conversions the Colts had um that's not good second time this season and that's that's exactly it it's somehow not the first time that they've finished a game without a third down conversion so um they did have one fourth down conversion but if you combine those two on third and fourth down one of fourteen so um that's kind of how you have a result like this they just didn't have uh really any like you said no explosive plays at all but even not even that they they've had games early in the season where they, they had to crawl down the field and would convert third downs and that operational level of their passing game is just completely gone
0: into the interlude part game day observation uh the national anthem was freaking fantastic just a saxophone um going to town uh awesome sounded great i briefly i i uh i played the saxophone when i was a kid because david robinson played the saxophone Mm. um and i've always liked the sound of it i did not play it for very long but yeah absolutely awesome national anthem
1: yeah that's what i was gonna go with uh because it, it was phenomenal and i also played saxophone i did for probably five years and i really liked it but you know then i got into played high school football and chose that instead of band but yeah that was he showed out for sure And that was i think the first instrumental national anthem i've heard this year unless i can't think of one it's hard to remember it's but hard
0: to remember i only remember like highlights like there was a um the best national anthem i've ever heard was victory boyd a singer by the name of victory boyd doing new orleans game and she did like a uh, stripped down sort of like reflective anthem with a lot of soul it was really good um, so good that uh Sean Payton actually mentioned it in his post game press conference that day. Wow. Um but yeah that's it's it they they tend to when you when you go to a bunch of them they tend to string together but this was this one stood out. Yep. Three things that brought me joy. This is going to be tough guys. This is going to be tough from a football perspective because it was not a bring you joy uh type of day. Um from a football standpoint. I I might not even I might not even have any have three. Uh the the Chargers on a third and one, tried to run kind of up the middle on the very first play, which is it's become the funniest thing to me uh, that teams keep trying to do that. Later in the game, when they ran, they did a better job of getting away from the two defensive tackles. But DeForest Buckner swallowed somebody and then and then uh, and then stoned the uh, Kelly for a, for a no gain. Well, what was funny about
1: that is they they had that, and then not long after that is when they ran uh, the double pass. So they faked a toss and then threw it back to Herbert and then he threw it the other side of the field. That was almost like like that was the correction of what you're saying. Is like we're not trying that again. What can we do that's the most opposite thing from that possible? That's good. And so that way it went with the double pass, which should have scored a touchdown, but he you know couldn't quite keep his feet in bounds on the on the sideline. Um, I will say, uh, you know, it's I guess I'll kinda of double down on it. But Rodney Thomas's interception was cool because his family was here today and I Talked to him way early in the season. He said, yeah, it's, it's hard. It was good. It was hard for his family to get out and see him play because he's got a younger brother who plays high school football and they just they couldn't be in two places at once. But he had said they were coming for Christmas. They'd be here for this game. Um, I talked to his brother earlier for a story on him. He pretty much looks up to Rodney like he's his hero. So I know they, that was just a cool moment for them to get to see the one game they came out for, him having an interception on Justin Herbert. Nate coming through with two things that brought him joy. Okay, back
0: back to the back to the harder stuff. Uh, too much blame. Is there a too much blame in this one?
1: I mean, I guess the, this kind of contradicts what I said for unsung villain. But it, if you just went by the numbers, it would be the offensive line because they gave up seven sacks. But it didn't uh, really but it wasn't feel that like bad. A that's a good one. Day. That's a good one. Yeah. So I guess that <laughs> makes me. Sound like a hypocrite because I also said they deserve some blame, but don't give them too much blame too much blame would be <laughs> over the top I'll uh I, I don't think I have anything to add there I think it's pretty much
0: pretty much that too much blame like this the, 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 most of the blame, I mean, I guess, most of the blame is most of the blame tonight I think was pretty um, accurately handed
1: out yeah I think I mean if it just kind of goes back to what we were already have, have talked about but i think you could also make a case for nick Foles because while statistically the numbers were absolutely horrible watching and it, it pro- you know it was not any better than that it's just as we laid out with the, yeah, the I can't, situation I can't there on
0: the too much blame he's pretty bad
1: well we laid out with situations that right he wasn't right. set up to be anything right. but bad yeah. this is like i hate to say it but talking to guys in the locker room it was like this was not like some shocking moment, and not because they don't think Nick Foles is good. It's just like well the situation
0: when they rolled out. When he's been good, it's because when he's been good in the NFL, it's it's largely been because he's been on good teams, like offenses that were already good, and because he's been working with coaches who understood him and understood how to tailor a game plan around him. Um, that's that's sort of the secret sauce of the Philly, Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl season was that Frank Reich figured out how to unlock Nick Foles by the time the Super Bowl got there. Um, and and a lot of it was by using the, some of the stuff that Chip Kelly used when Foles had 27 touchdowns and two interceptions uh, as a young quarterback. And so, when teams have done that, he's generally looked good. When they haven't, he's looked bad. This Colts offense isn't capable of Taylor, of changing up or switching like that at this point, with no one left there other than Scotty Montgomery, who's you know really run an offense and designed an offense before. So yeah, he he did. He, i think i i would say I said this early in the week um I don't think it was on a podcast, but it was we were saying it in the room I was like as soon as they said we're not going to change the offense much I was like well he's like he fits in a specific scenario, which is why he was originally brought here was it was the one guy who knew how to get like really good backup level play out of him mm-hmm. and without that person there they just didn't they just didn't do a lot that 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 there was nothing they could do. But yeah, and calling it too much blame is tough because yeah, it was pretty bad.
1: It's, I mean, he, he was as bad as the numbers say just watching him. But the moment that I knew that this was going to not go well was when we talked to him and asked, uh, you know, have you thrown to these guys before? And he said, right. no, right. never. <laughs> this is the right. first day. And I'm like, man. Because I've talked to a lot of those receivers this year. They're a talented receiving core, but they're super, super young. And this is just – they they have to work so hard to make this work right now. So to just keep switching the quarterback on them, you know, when they don't have Jonathan Taylor, and they they aren't winning up front. Like it, it's only so much these guys can do.
0: Too little blame. I'm going somehow. Jeff Saturday is getting too little blame. Um, earlier you know? today on an, on, on Ursa's appearance on on Monday Night Countdown, he said that he thinks Ursay or that Saturday is an outstanding candidate. Um, I still see a lot of people saying like. What did you expect an interim coach to do? Like, we should definitely hire four. We're play- like, they're they're one in five, and the offense has not been any better. Um, it it no. the the the, tr- the trajectory has gone. To, they like the thing I wrote in our quick story was they the the free fall just continues to deepen. Um, whereas when they were you know before before everything started changing and they started getting away from the plan they had for the season, they were three three and one. They they've only gone down since all that stuff started, and Saturday's here, and he's an interim head coach, and he's to blame. He was supposed like he, ultimately that rests on his head. If it rested on Reich's head, um, when we were talking about that, and he ultimately got fired for it, then the offensive performance now has to rest on on Saturday's head, and it's been it's been awful. Just it's so I, I don't really understand it. They, they're one in five. You have to um, take that into account. They've been outscored, I think, ninety to nine in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter um since his second game but yeah no that includes the Raiders game oh really it's 90 to 9 including the Raiders game that's me putting wow. the, that's me putting the Raiders game in there just because I know people will say but what about the Raiders game <laughs> uh so yeah it's for me it, to nine for me uh, Jeff Saturday is somehow getting too little blame
1: yeah I think especially when you look at it in terms of the offense is that the way that he's come in and done this is he's he's really delegated. Let Bubba Ventrone coach the special teams. Let Gus Bradley run the defense. And those when they've stayed in games like bits of today, or when they were up by thirty three, it was mostly those two units. It wasn't the offense. The offense really hasn't earned them anything since it's been a bad year for them with either coach. But they used to do some things. They were you know early in the year they were the top five in passing yards until Matt Ryan separated shoulder. You know, they had the fourth quarter comebacks. <laughs> Outside of a game against the Raiders where Matt Ryan was surprisingly reinserted and Jonathan Taylor ripped off one big run, this offense, since they made the coaching changes, it, it's hard to even list, like, five good moments out of it. So, um, so yeah, he deserves some blame for that. And I guess if we're kind of sticking on that theme um, related to Ursi, I guess I'd go with Chris Ballard because – Jim Merce also said Chris Ballard will be the GM this spring. Right. And I just think if you fired your coach midseason, um, that's a move you do when you're admitting it was a failure, it didn't work, we're going to abort, it's time to move on. You know, I always thought those two seemed like they should be tied at the hip. I, I think they both had their hands in it. And I don't know why, you, like, if you're going to hold Reich responsible for that and – and he had you know, there's definitely reason to blame him for a lot of what didn't end up coming together. You know, Chris Ballard deserves blame too. And it, it the yeah, way I'd that, say I would say more actually. I think more too, because the area that you know, he he's put everything into the the resources have been the offensive line and that's the unit that has dragged them down this season. Um there's other things to criticize, but that's just to me when I sum up this year and why it didn't work it's always going to start with the offensive line. That's how Jonathan Taylor got hurt. That's how Matt Ryan got hurt. That's that's why they can't be – they don't have an identity because they build an identity around an offensive line that's been healthy all season and has just been really, really poor. And I think that has to go back to the general manager. So, And I'm not – you know, I think you can make arguments either way with Chris Ballard as far as should he be back. But there's just a disconnect to fire a coach – midseason and blame him for everything and then just say well the GM will." and stay. then
0: when it continues to get worse with a different coach that then to somehow still blame the previous head coach and absolve the gm is what you're saying i understand yeah. that yeah yep. i get that uh one that might be a barrage i'm really struggling here that game felt very very indicative of the colts that, that felt like the Colts that I've seen all season. Defense plays well, saddled with the weight of the world by the offense, which is unable to score. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if there's a development. That's the hardest thing about this game, and I think these last two games, is I don't know that there's a lot of big-picture um, forward-thinking stuff you can, you can draw out of it unless you're just talking about individual players. Uh, usually this category I kind of reserve for something that's that's like a development. I, I don't know that we're going to see a lot of those. I don't know that we saw a lot of that tonight. I think this is this is a team that started Nick Foles at quarterback and Zach Moss at running back, and it's out of the playoff hunt, and it's out of, it's been eliminated from the playoffs, and it's just p- playing for draft position. That That's what they look like. Uh, in terms of big-picture development, the only thing I guess that could be a mirage is – you know, Ursay's given people votes of confidence before, and then and then gone back on it.
1: That's a good one, actually, because that would um, be the caveat to what I just said about him saying Chris Ballard's back. Is that well, he kind of said that about Frank Reich at a certain point. Yeah,
0: and he he said Matt Ryan was going to be here for three or four years and pulled the plug on him after essentially five games. It really pulled it on him after seven games. So that that if there if there's only if there's anything that's a mirage, it might be what might be what he's saying. But it it does feel like he's digging in now. This is like the third or fourth time he said it on Ballard. Who knows? Maybe it changes again. So we'll go with that. We'll go with the, the development from earlier in the day. Um, that's that's the mirage I've got.
1: And the thing I'd say about Chris Ballard to kind of put a bow on is I, I do think I do think he's digging in. And I right now I would say I expect Chris Ballard to be back. But the reason why it could still be a mirage, even if that's how he currently thinks, is that it may be driven by what coach they want and what that coach wants. Right. If they want to go, for example – really in on a Jim Harbaugh but Jim Harbaugh says I want one of my own guys to be the GM or I want you know heavy personnel control like Chris Ballard's a pretty he's got a lot he's got all the personnel control Mm. right now so to you know that there there are things that could kind of change the calculus and it just goes to show that promises from Jim Mercy recently have not that that's not been a line in the sand that's not been a well I've I've said this so I got to stick to it so it could could be a mirage because he could change his mind because he's done it. What's your one to bank on? We'll finish the podcast here. Um, I'm going to go with Johnny Woods is a real dude. Um, I guess it's weird to say it in this game. He finished with uh, three catches for 43 yards, but that was actually the leading receiver on the Colts, and just kind of interesting. He came out and uh, you know had the just right out, right out of the gates had those three catches two for more than 15 yards and what happened was the charges were just like well that's the one thing they got today so we're going to take it away and he said like they just put a safety on him and you know and then their other guys had easier jobs and obviously they didn't really get anything going with those guys but I just think when you look at Jelani his trajectory from way back in training camp there was a lot of you know worry about how he was looking out there it was Body language wasn't the best. He was dropping some passes. wasn't playing much at all. And then he just was a red zone guy. This has really kind of progressed in a way that I think's easy to overlook because the whole offense looks chaotic and bad. But like he's had enough high moments. He had a game winner against the Chiefs. He had the, you know, almost a hundred yards against the Steelers. And the moments anymore, like ever since that Chiefs game, really, the moments where you'd say it's not worked for him has been either a playing time deal, which, you know, was a weird deal with the Dallas game, um, or, or it's just, you know, this this offense is kind of broken. But his his attitude has been like it's just night and day the demeanor. Um, attitude's not the right word I'm saying, but like the confidence he has in who what he's doing. I think doing he's right got now. a real chance.
0: I think he's got a real chance to be a difference making tight end in the NFL. And the reason and I say that he, is and, he's, and I mean like I mean like big numbers. I yeah. think he's got a real chance with what he can do down the field, his speed um, is there's a big play element to him
1: that they haven't had here since Eric, since good Eric Ebron was here in 2018 and he's like we know what kind of athlete he is that was always there it's always about can he put it together but he's dealt with so much this season when you consider the tragedy in Virginia when you consider just injuries that kept popping up in and out the coaching change he doesn't have a position coach right now by the way he's got Reggie Wayne working with him on routes and uh, Kevin White working with him on blocking. Like this has been a season that could drive a lot of rookie tight ends insane. And yet, you know, he's, I, I thought, really really handled it well considering all of that and still is showing up and making plays. It's one of those where when you can work through a season like this, you just imagine if they're ever able to just get a somewhat stable offense and as he matures physically and emotionally or physically and, and, and in the playbook and all of that um i do think there's breakout potential
0: my one to bank on is is pretty simple it's what i wrote today um what we all kind of knew i think going into this game but it's it's been confirmed for us uh there wasn't a quarterback on the roster who was going to change this this team's trajectory just wasn't going to happen uh none of the guys that they had were the type of team were the type of quarterback who could lift the team and, and make that make it more than it was not at this point in their careers. Um, they don't. They don't have that player on the, ro- on the roster right now. Um, Matt Ryan and Nick Foles are never going to be that kind of player again. Nick Foles never really was that player. Um, again, he had to. He had to have it tailored to him. Matt Ryan, you could probably make. You could probably argue that he was at one point, but it's kind of a tough argument to make. I kind of feel like he never quite got to that level at Atlanta. He, that's that's the kind of the truly elite quarterback that can mm-hmm. just take a bad team. Like and the just, one they faced tonight. Uh, they can take a bad team and get them to the playoffs. So they, they didn't. They never they don't have anybody like we, we, we found out it, it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. I I think the case for Ellinger is just that he's on the early end of his career and needs experience and Foles and Ryan are on the end, on the back end of their career. And I think that's the case for Ellinger going forward. It's the one that makes the most sense to me because this team's not going anywhere. Um, but uh, I, I don't think it, I don't think putting him in changes this offense significantly. So, Ultimately, my one to bank on is they need they need a quarterback, which you all knew, but and it's a simple one. But we, we finally had it confirmed by there are no options on this roster.
1: Yeah, it just goes to show that all year they've had three quarterbacks who are different. Um, they've got some strengths, they've got some weaknesses, but they're all flawed quarterbacks. And if they had an offense, if if the you know if they had that if that offensive line was dominant, if Jonathan Taylor was You know, the one we saw last year leading the league in in rushing, if they had consistency with any of these guys and those receivers could be the explosive players and there's consistency with the coaching staff, maybe. (laughs) But none of them were built to fix what's broken here. And every time they've made a change, they've gained some things like today they could throw it further down the field. But they lose other things, and what they lost today was there's just no chemistry or timing between Nick Foles and really anyone other than Jelani Woods. Um, kind of similar to Sam Ellinger, they gained a little bit of mobility when he went in, but they lost, you know, the the accuracy, the timing, the decision, you know, the, the, the decisiveness, and some of the chemistry and experience too. So, n- yeah, none of them are, fil- are are really they're all backup types at this stage, and those guys are not going to fix. Some you know, of them are retiring albums. types
0: at this stage. Yeah. Uh, that's it for the Colts Cover 2 podcast first impressions edition there are two more games left and then the real uh, intrigue of this Colts season starts what what happens after it for the Colts Cover 2 podcast I'm Joel A. Erickson this has been Nate Atkins we will have stuff on IndyStar.com all week despite uh, the fact that most of you are probably out on this team and just waiting for January 9th